Hi, everybody. It's me, Mora. Welcome to our third episode of Are You There, God? It's Me podcast. We're so excited to be live. We've actually started posting some of our podcasts on um, a podcast service. So you can now find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Spotify. So please use your podcast streamer of choice to listen to us and please like and subscribe uh, because we'd love to know how many people are out there listening to this little project that we're working on. Uh, we are dumping a bunch of these in fairly short order. We've been recording them, as I said, uh, since January. So more are coming very shortly. And then once we're done with that backlog, our plan is to release them every other week. And um, as we get there, I'll let you know exactly what day of the week you can look forward to hearing new Are You There God podcasts on. So that will be fun. But we still have a bunch to go before we get to that point. Um, please also, as you are listening, feel free to send us your ideas, your stories about reading, and your recommendations on children's books and young adult books for us to read in the future. We would love to hear from you. Our email address is aytgpodcast at gmail.com. Today's book is The Great Brain by John D. Fitzgerald. It was released in 1967. Um, and it was a book that I chose and then Aaron read for the first time as an adult. And we both realized very quickly that it discusses a lot of issues that are incredibly sensitive. And it doesn't really do it in any sort of politically correct way at all. So I never thought I would be doing this, but I am issuing a trigger warning on this episode for, let's see, religious bigotry incredibly disrespectful behavior toward Native Americans. And uh, I should also add that a child character in this book does attempt to commit suicide in the final chapter. And we do talk about all of that. The child is not successful. Um, and things work out in this book, but it's still shocking. And so I just wanted to make sure that people were aware of that before listening to this podcast. If you want to skip, we understand. Aaron and I are plenty funny in this one. But some people just don't want to hear about these topics, so we understand. Listen, I am so grateful to all of you for listening. Aaron and I are having so much fun making this podcast, so bear with us as we continue to work out all the kinks, and please let us know, again, how we're doing, aytgpodcast at gmail.com. So we'll see you again soon with Harriet the Spy, but for now, here comes The Great Brain by John D. Fitzgerald, and heaven help us all. Are You There, God? It's Me podcast, where we two awesome ladies return to the books of our youth and hilarity ensues. This show is not for kids. My name is Maura McConaughey. And I'm Erin Stone. Erin, how are you doing today? Good, Maura. I'm so happy to see you on this it's Valentine's Day. You. Happy Valentine's happy Day. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Valentine's Day, man. I could get into it, but we have so much to talk about with this week's book, which is a doozy. It's a doozy, <laughs> all right. 
Um, so before we get into it, though, I, I do have a very important icebreaker question to ask you. Are you ready? I am. Erin, what was a memorable television or film adaptation of a children's book that you watched as a kid? Because last week you talked about the novelization. The novelization of movies. (laughs) License to Drive. So I saw License to Drive, which was a movie of the novelization. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we we lived in a golden age for children's lit, but we also did live in kind of a golden age for adaptations. I can think of a number of them. Okay. I can give you mine as you're thinking. I'll give you a current one, and then I'll think about my kids' one for a little bit. Have you watched the Netflix series of The Babysitter's Club? No, I have not. It's so good. (laughs) Like, call in sick tomorrow and watch it. (laughs) Ignore your family on Valentine's Day and watch it. It's it's so good. Is it a love like no other? It's better than Valentine's Day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Is it good because it's accurate in its adaptation or does it like bring the whole concept to a whole new level or a little bit of both? So there's less white people. Oh, that's good. Yes. Yeah. It's much more diverse. That's really, really good. Um, Holistically very good. The girls seem like genuinely nice, good people. Oh, that's good too. And they do stay true to the books and all i think all the casting was done like so so well oh that's great silverstone is the mom if you want to feel old (laughs) is she cleaned up (laughs) (laughs) yes yes does she try to feed any of the characters food from her that she has masticated in her own mouth no 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 thank god (laughs) yeah that's good so but let me think of a kid's one you do yours while i'm thinking though the one that i always turn to which I think premiered on or around Valentine's Day was the Hallmark Hall of Fame adaptation of Sarah Plain and Tall, starring oh. Glenn Close and Christopher oh my Walken. Oh, God, I never saw that. Oh, Aaron, it is so good. Oh, oh I man. Want to that. That, I love that book. That book, first of all, is such a gem. I read it, I think, because Patricia McLaughlin was involved in the adaptation. It just took something that was already so beautiful and turned it into a richer version. It was, I mean, the music is perfect. The casting is perfect, even though Christopher Walken plays Jacob, which is creepy (laughs) when you think of Christopher Walken, but he actually pulls it off and he and Glenn Close actually have chemistry and the little kids, they are adorable. I mean, it's so good. And I just have so many great memories of watching it as a kid and all of the Hallmark commercials that you would only see during Hallmark Hall of Fame movies, which I love so much. Like there was the Christmas one where the boy's waiting for his brother to come home and then he's singing Oh Holy Night and his brother's not going to make it because there's a snowstorm and then he makes it. And he walks in behind the little boy and he starts singing, fall on your knees. And I, every time, every time. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. All right. So I have kind of a hot take here. Okay. Mine. I'm very so, excited. I love, 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 love Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <gasps> Both the book and the movie. And 
I even love the new one with Johnny Depp. <laughs> oh no, you're terrible. I know it's a hot take, right? <laughs> you're terrible. <laughs> it's so like super weird and horrifying. And I just love that aspect of it. Like, I love how they've just embraced that. Like, this is so messed up, you know? Like, the only thing, two things I really like. it doesn't have, cheer up, Charlie, which is the worst, like, I swear to God, eight and a half minute long song. <laughs> is that the one that the mom sings? Yes. I always fast forward and past that. I watch, yeah, exactly. I just, like, skip it. Like, fuck it. It doesn't have that kind of crap. <laughs> But like, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, this is terrible. I hate this. And then my kids really liked it. And then I just started watching it with them more often. And even just recently, again, with my youngest, we watched it. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to just let myself love this because I do. (laughs) I love that book, that movie. They do a really good job of showing how the kids get theirs. Like when they show Baruch Salt (laughs) being carried by all the squirrels. We're going to have to yes. do this book. You know we're going to have to do this book. Yeah. Um, it's a great book. Yeah. yeah it's a, I mean, it's such a good book. I love Deep Roy as all. <laughs> what are they called? <laughs> I can't stand it. The Oompa Loompas. The, yeah. the The little person actor Deep Roy plays each and every one of the Oompa Loompas. It's amazing. And it's amazing. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. It is perfect. Just let yourself love it because it's so good. If they could take, like, Dean, yeah. <laughs> no, Johnny Depp is amazing in it. Like, <laughs> I can't stand this, just like Johnny his Depp. his creepy plastic face and like his weird smile and his like he thinks he's being human and he's being so inhuman. It's just like it's so perfect. It was of like, a guy who locked himself away in a chocolate factory for years, right? Like it was the whole Christopher. He's a freak, Lee. and I love it. Yeah. The, it's the Christopher Lee dentistry torture that I was like, oh, this yeah, is that part I don't far. care for either. <laughs> I don't like teeth or dentists. So, yeah, no, I can't. <laughs> yeah, that part I don't care for. But the rest of it, love it. I love the, um, how should I put it? The witty vocalizations of Gene Wilder. Yes. Yes. He's amazing. He really I, is. Yeah. I have no complaints about his performance in the original Willy Wonka, but my kids vastly prefer the new one, which whatever, I get it. (laughs) But I love them both. I I refuse to choose between them and I refuse to hate the new one. (laughs) Okay. I respect it. I respect it. I'm just going to sit over here and suck on my... I know we were going to have like controversy on this episode, huh? I'm just going to sit here and suck quietly on my everlasting gobstopper in judgmental (laughs) silence for a while. The scene where he they meet Willy Wonka and the puppets come out and they all catch on fire and like <laughs> I forgot about that. It's so funny. Oh my god, it's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So this week <laughs> moving oh on to the controversy to yet another controversy. I think I probably broke Aaron's brain with my choice of this week's book. <laughs> Which what is, book did we read? Laura? We we read The Great Brain by John D. Fitzgerald. It was published. I have two quick questions. All right. One, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> and two, what the fuck did I read? <laughs> so I first read this. I had this book read to me 
in sixth grade. By, by an adult? By an adult in my sixth grade oh my classroom. God. He read the whole thing to us. So I never read this book until now. Did you know about it? it? No. Like, you this is not on my radar at all. Wow. Well, this. So what, when I told my husband we were reading it, he was like, oh, I love that book. It's so good. Like, the brothers' relationship is so good and they're so nice to each other. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, let's read this book. And he was just so wrong. <laughs> has he gone back and read it yeah he finished it last night and, and what several times was like pacing around the room being like what the fuck is even happening <laughs> like he was about halfway through and he's like yeah i mean there's a lot of like boys beating up boys and whatever and i'm like yeah yeah it's it's just ramping up you just wait <laughs> and he's flipping through it there's pictures i don't know this is the one i have yeah yeah that's the same one you have yeah illustrated by mercer so mayer <laughs> Yeah. So he flipped through the pictures and it's and it's it's this one with the the Jewish peddler guy. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, there's a Jew in the book at least. And I was like, Well, not for long. <laughs> <laughs> this book is prime for this podcast. This is what I'm saying. <sighs> it's prime for this podcast because people who read it, I read it multiple times. I read its sequels. There were seven of them in the original God. set. That this man, John D. Fitzgerald, wrote. I read them and I thought they were great. And then um, I <laughs> and came. Then you reached adulthood. I reached adulthood. I came upon it again. I started reading it and very quickly was like, what the fuck is this? I didn't even get to the really controversial stuff at the end of the book. I had to stop on chapter two. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, the first page is. Is already like, whoa, all right, see where we are. <laughs> so, uh, just to provide a right, summary. Page two, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, this was published in 1967. It was the first of seven books written by John D. Fitzgerald, who was kind of a jack-of-all-trades growing up. He grew up in Utah, graduated high school, and immediately moved away from the state and never came back. When he graduated and moved away, he was um, he was 18. This man was born in 1906. So he was actually born 10 years after where the events start. He moved away to become a jazz drummer. And then he was a newspaper reporter for the New York City World Tribune. He was a foreign correspondent for the United Press. He was an MGM publicity agent. And he was a member of Wendell Wilkie's campaign staff when Wilkie ran for president in 1940 against FDR. Damn. Yeah. And then he continued to write stories. I guess he also wrote a lot of, like, junk and then eventually was published originally in 1955 with uh, a different series of books, three other books that were written for grownups about growing up in Utah. The first one was called Papa Married a Mormon. <laughs> the second one is Mama's Boarding House. And the third one is Uncle Will and the Fitzgerald Curse. Um, and then he took a break for a bit, and then he wrote The Great Brain. So The Great Brain is set in 1896, and it follows the adventures of a family living in a little made-up town called Addenville in Utah. Um, and so there's Papa and there's Mama and then three boys, Sven, Tom, and John. 
And right off the bat, you know this is going to be weird because Sven, Tom, and John all have the same middle name, and that middle name <laughs> is Dennis. Because hundreds of years ago, a member of the Fitzgerald family betrayed... I mean, there's so much in this book that I can't even remember. Uh, a member... Yeah. So, um, like, hang on, I gotta find it. I'm sorry. This does is some kind of horrible... Betrayed six of his cousins. There it is. That's right. An ancestor is... Okay, more than 200 years before I was born, an ancestor of ours named Dennis betrayed six of his cousins to the English during the rebellion in County Meath, Ireland. His father decreed that all male Fitzgerald must bear the middle name of Dennis to remind them of the cowardice of his son. So right away, you got a cursed middle name. <laughs> Welcome to the world, kid. You got a cursed middle name. You have a cursed middle name in a family that's continued this practice for 200 years. Yes. So there are three boys at the start of the book. The oldest is 12. The middle one, who you very quickly find out is the great brain, is 10. And the youngest... The narrator of the story, J.D., is seven. And children are beaten up a lot in this book. Yes, there's a lot of hitting children. (laughs) There's a lot of hitting children. So these three live, I I would say, about pretty affluently in a very small town in southern Utah, where the father is the editor and publisher of the weekly newspaper and is generally respected about town because he's the only person in the town who has a college degree. There are 2,500 people who live in the town. 2,000 of them are Mormon, and the remaining 500 are a combination of Catholic and Protestant. Um, And at the beginning, J.D. says, um, yeah, Mormons and non-Mormons had learned to live together with some degree of tolerance and understanding by that time, but tolerance hadn't come easy for my oldest brother, Sven, my brother Tom, and myself. Most of our playmates were Mormon kids, but we taught them tolerance. It was just a question of us all learning how to fight good enough for Sven to whip every Mormon kid his age, Tom to whip every Mormon kid his age, and for me to whip every Mormon kid my age in town. After all, there is nothing as tolerant and understanding as a kid you can whip. Holy shit. (laughs) Right? That's page two. That's page two. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't even know what to say. There's nothing that can be said because honestly, that's really the only distinction that they ever make between the Mormons and the non-Mormons in town. Until, of course, you get to the poor Jewish peddler. (laughs) Like after he says that, which is really disquieting, they just like move right on. Yeah, it's just like, eh, all right, and next. Yeah. So it starts. So we beat up all the Mormons. And yep. Then... And now we're horrible children. Now we've taught them tolerance. Yeah. So they live in a pretty affluent family, and um, but it's a very small town. Um, and it seems like a town where everybody knows what is going on with everyone else. So in the first chapter, the magic water closet It turns out that the patriarch of the family, Papa, has a penchant for ordering whatever newfangled invention becomes available on the market and has gained quite a reputation in town for ordering these inventions, which fail. Don't work. Yeah. Yeah. 90 to 90%, 95% of the time. And so at the beginning of the story, uh, Papa has ordered 
the first indoor water closet in Adamville. Um, and so <laughs> the whole town loses its shit, pun intended, over Hey-o. this development. I know. I regret that already. A man named Fred Harvey comes to town one day and says, the water closet is coming. I'm the plumber. I am here to dig your cesspool for the water closet. And by the way, I aggressively hate all children more than life itself. And that's how the book starts. We very quickly learn that the great brain, Master Tom, is basically a Ponzi scheming, swindling psychopath. He's a hedge fund manager. He is a hedge fund manager. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, the kids want to watch the hole being built. Fred, the plumber, pitches a fit, says, keep these kids away from me. And Papa tells Sven, the oldest, to make sure that no kids bother the plumber. Sven is like, I'm going to beat the shit out of anybody who comes near. Because it turns out that's... Yeah, and Sven especially really loves to do that. And then Tom's solution is to create a money-making scheme where children are allowed to file through the house and watch the hole being built from the back porch as long as they pay a penny to Tom on the way through. (laughs) And he does everything he can. Ten to, kids at a time. Ten kids at a time. And he does everything he can to involve his young brother, JD, who is kind of an idiot, in hustling up the kids to come and watch the hole being built. I mean, this guy is really horrible. The, all he does is sit around and try to figure out how he can get as much money out of how people as possible. People. How he can <laughs> How he can take advantage of people. And even when he's caught red-handed and told to make amends, he does everything he can still to hold on to as much money as possible. Mm-hmm. And this is where I said when my husband was like, oh, like, I always wanted to have like a brother and we could be like this. And I was like, really? Like, he just takes advantage of his little brother constantly. Like, did you want to be the sociopath or did you like, want to like have the sociopathic older brother? Did you want to be the Mark? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it because the book is written with this unbelievable boys will be boys attitude. Yeah. But, you know, this is the third book that we have read so far for this podcast. And this is the third book where I'm just going to say right off the bat, where the fuck are the parents? They're ignoring their children because that's how they discipline them. Oh, yes, that's because right. The silent treatment. The silent that's treatment is they, their yeah. preferred mode of punishment. Yeah. Everybody else gets beat up, but the mama and papa... Just stop talking we'll just to you. We'll just pretend you don't exist. Yeah. <laughs> the actual toilet apparatus arrives by freight train. And then the whole town is so astonished that they all get a tour, including a demonstration of how the flushing <laughs> motion works. And all the adults get to do this for free. And then the next day, Tom decides that he is going to make even more money because all the adults have gotten to see the toilet flush on the day of its installation, but um, the kids didn't. And so he decides to try to charge the kids money now to see the toilet flush. A penny. Yeah. And the (laughs) mom catches them. The mom catches them and is like, no, 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 this is not acceptable. And so he gets greedy and then he gets caught. And then he mouths off to his mother. It's like, (laughs) Papa's not going to be happy that you did this to me. And then he tries to make his younger brother cover... 50% 50% of his losses for no good goddamn reason at all. Even though he's only giving his brother 10% of the proceeds. Yeah. But my big takeaway from the first chapter is that 
Tom Dennis Fitzgerald is a reprehensible psychopath, and there is no need for us to feel any kind of sympathy for him for the rest of the book. Agreed. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And He's that's just chapter one. It's He's I mean, a living, breathing monster. And children used to read this book for pleasure. Well, it's just going to get worse. Yeah. Uh, just a heads up. I know. <laughs> because in chapter two, we learn that revenge can be sour. This is so terrible. This is oh so terrible. Oh my god. Okay. The Measles. big take Yeah, for the Measles. big Yeah, for the, the big takeaway from this second chapter honestly is that these children, these brothers are absolutely terrible to each other. Just so <laughs> unnecessarily nasty to each other for no good reason. Sven gets the measles and Mama's system of dealing with infectious disease is to immediately put the other boys all into the same bed with the infected child to make them all, all get sick way. at once. <laughs> yeah, puts them all in harm's way at once, gets them all sick, and then lets the disease burn through the house like a cleansing fire. And whoever is standing at the end of it gets to live on in this world. <laughs> chicken pox parties. Yeah. Did you? So I presume you had the chicken pox when you were a kid. I did. So th this is amazing to me that the chicken pox is a thing of the past now. Yeah. Because it, I mean, because it was miserable. But when I got the chicken pox, I think I was in preschool. My mom immediately dumped my sister into bed with me. Yeah. And she my was brother like, got it. And she, and she was like, hang out with your brother. And Meg didn't get it. My sister did not get it. She didn't what? get it. Yeah, she didn't contract it. And so I was miserable and covered in calamine lotion and also dealing with my <laughs> one and a half year old sister who just wanted to climb all over me the whole time. And I was just like, right. why, why? And then I think she got it when she was in fifth or sixth grade. And oh I didn't realize this, but when you get it, when you're older, it is no it's joke. Worse. Yeah. And so she, the poor thing was just miserable the whole time. Chicken pox is not the measles. It takes JD and Tom a while to actually contract the measles. So then, He's feeling better, and the two younger boys are now feeling miserable and sick. So once he has recovered, Sven loves to come into the sick room and lord it over the other two that he is feeling fine and that he can do whatever he wants and basically just rub their faces in shit every single day that they're sick. Like, <laughs> you're sick. That is bad enough. But then to have your older brother come in and basically kick you in the kidney while you're right. down with a UTI, I mean, it is just wrong. It is wrong on so many levels. Right. So JD, who's the youngest, has never been the first one. He's always been the one there at the end getting picked on. So he has a plan. He finds someone who has the mumps <laughs> and he sneaks into his fucking house and gets his friend to breathe and cough in his face multiple, multiple times, times. <laughs> so that he the can mumps. finally be the one to contract a contagious disease first and give it to his brothers. And then when his brothers get sick, he can get in their faces and laugh and ha 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 and all and that stuff. Nice food in front of them. Because yeah their jaws hurt too much with the mums. But the problem is that JD is a lot smaller than the other two brothers, first of all. And, and, and a lot dumber, let's yeah, be honest. he's <laughs> a lot dumber. So he not only actively seeks out a communicable disease, which could render you sterile. <laughs> let's hope it does. When he starts to feel sick, 
he spills the beans to everybody in the house. Look what I did. I have yeah. brought pestilence upon you all. And <laughs> so they just turn it around. Instead of lording it over on the back end because they're better first, they lord it over on the front end because they're not sick first. And right. this bothers J.D. just as much. And then, as they are falling ill themselves, they announce that they are going to impose the silent treatment on their little brother. And so they are just not going to play. They are not going to acknowledge that he exists. He can do whatever he wants to be nasty to them while they are sick, and they are just not going to even acknowledge his existence. And then his mother is like, you deserve it. (laughs) (laughs) Tom, the great brain, comes up with a... A solution. JD has a beaded belt that no one else has. A genuine Indian beaded belt, he calls it, right? Yeah. And he's like, we'll stop the silent treatment if you give me the belt. And JD Which is, is like, like the only thing JD has in this world. It is literally the only thing JD has in this world. And he is so lonely at this point that he's like, take the belt. I don't care. Take the belt. <laughs> That's only chapter two, Mora. I know. <laughs> because then in chapter three... The great brain saves the day. There is malfeasance regarding, first, the breeding of two dogs, and then second, the saving of two lives. Oh my god, this was so upsetting. (laughs) (laughs) Again, this is a children's story. It's a children's story. Well, Well, we can start it off with the fun thing, where they teach them how to swim. Oh, yes, you're right. So JD, JD <laughs> se- seven-year-old, oh, now eight-year-old JD does not know how to swim. And so the older brothers solve this problem by taking him to the old swimming hole and throwing him in. Just a bunch of children. Yeah. No adults. No adults. Anywhere. No. They just throw him in and basically say, don't drown. Yeah. And not only don't drown, but also don't yell. Because (laughs) you will disgrace our whole family and Papa will be disgusted with you. It's basically childhood, right? Like if you survive the measles and the mumps and learning to swim and then you can just be shit upon. Yeah, but you still get to live. Cowardice in the great brain seems to be the one irredeemable character flaw. Yes. On the way to the swimming hole. The boys come across uh, two other boys, Frank and Alan Jensen. And JD has a purebred dog that he has decided to mate with the Jensen boy's dog. It's a business proposition. Yeah, it's a JD's going to get a pick of the litter. Pick of the litter. And Tom, for some reason, is very interested in the whole transaction. I can't imagine why. So they see these boys. These boys are going to go exploring, they say. With their dog. But then the boys never come home. Yes. And then this turns into a very special episode of Little House on the Prairie. It totally does. (laughs) Where all of a sudden, Papa becomes Michael Landon. (laughs) And Uncle Mark, who is also like the town marshal and deputy sheriff, turns into Merlin Olson. And they go running off to Skeleton Cave, named as such because... When somebody tried to explore it, they found a skeleton in the second chamber. And this does seem like the cave system in Thailand where nobody knows where it ends. And those poor boys, the soccer players, got stuck. Yes. Because the floodwaters rose and then they had to rescue them all. And then you get stuck in there. Yeah. And they had to rescue them using these apparatuses and the bends were involved. And it was, I mean, so scary. And that was just a couple of years ago. Well, even just all the caves around here, like. Yeah. You know, they talk about, you know, 
you could still very well get very, very lost. <laughs> like Honestly, I did not know that. I did yeah. not know that there were caves around here where you could get. There's here. caves right near me. Well, yeah, because Laura, you're out. You're out there now. When this is over, we should go cave exploring. There's no way in hell you're ever going to get me to go into a cave. There's no <laughs> way in hell you're ever going to get me to go into a cave. So they bring rope. They go in the cave in a safer manner. Can like I, the can whole I, town is there. Can I play the background music? You know what I'm going to play here? <laughs> what are you I'm going to splice in the like the alarming, like the something's wrong version of yes. the Little House on the Prairie theme. Yes. For sure. <laughs> they have to get more rope. They Come are out of rope. They, <laughs> and not like they actually run out of rope and they have to send it on horseback town over. from another town and they run it the whole way over because everybody is getting pretty sure that these children and their dog are lost forever in the cave system. And, and they're searching for, the, for like days, for like two days or yeah, something. It is bad. Everybody in the town is upset. All the grownups are crying. Everybody has stopped shaving, which means you know that it's really bad, except for the great brain who all of a sudden starts mumbling to himself about how he's going to lose a fortune. He says, you know what? I really need to put my great brain to thinking about this. And he goes, and while <laughs> he is thinking, JD starts playing with his dog and the dog starts barking. And then the great brain comes down from his thinking place and says, I got it. Give me some raw beef liver and your dog. And he goes down to the mouth of the cave. I can also see this happening on Little House on the Prairie. And yes. He says, <laughs> it was a very <laughs> Little House on the Prairie solution. It really was. He's like, lady is in heat. Brownie wants to mate with lady. Take me and the dog into the cave. And not only that, but we will then rub the raw beef on our feet. So that after the dogs find each other, they will be able to follow the scent of the raw beef to get us back out of the cage. Cave. And I'm like, okay, but if the dogs find each other, they're just going to want to go off and hump right away. They're not going to care. They're not going to care about food. They're just going to want to go off and hump. They're they're all going to be stuck in the dark of a cave with a pair of humping humping dogs. dogs. And that's going to be the end of the story. So he and his uncle, the town law. Uncle Mark. Take the take the dog and the beef. The family, the party is rescued. Everybody comes out of the cave. Everything is fine. The family comes home and everybody is so excited that they all come marching over. It's, they just want to see Tom and his great brain. And Tom says, I may as well go out and speak to them now. And he goes He's out. Ten. He gives this <laughs> terrible speech where he says, you know what? Y'all sucked. Yeah, and I can't get this shit done. You couldn't get it done, and so I put my great brain to good use, and I solved the problem. And all the grown-ups are like, hooray! We're being dominated by a 10-year-old! Hooray! (laughs) They run down that hill a long time, those girls. It's probably 12 hours of filming. I know. (laughs) I love that TV show. Man, I could go watch that right now. Except when Almanzo shows up, then it gets really creepy. <laughs> we should also shout out, by the way, let's do a podcast shout out. Let's talk about another podcast out there that talks about children's books. <gasps> okay. Babysitter's Club Club. <laughs> <laughs> it is my favorite. 
it's been going on for like five years. It is two men in their late 30s, early 40s, and they read the entire, like every single Babysitter's Club property. And they are hilarious, and I love it. <laughs> this is the Babysitter's Club Club. One, the, they, they describe themselves. <laughs> one, I'm on their website right now. One relatively small man, one relatively large man, and one huge idea to read through the seminal works of American novelist Anne M. Martin in chronological order and initiate ourselves in the process into the arcane mystical rites of the Babysitter's Club. Their website so is babysittersclubclub.com. We highly recommend this podcast because it is funnier than hell. Tanner Greenring and Jack Shepard. We are big fans. Tanner and Jack, we are big fans. Yay. Please come on our podcast. We would love to talk to you. <laughs> I bet you would have something to say die. about maybe a sequel to The Great Brain. We could get into it. So oh we my love God. you. We love your pod. <laughs> oh, geez. And now now things. Oh, okay. geez. Oh, geez. Chapter four. Oh, geez. This is where things really Things go. start going off the rails here. <laughs> Chapter if four is called Possible Drownings and Kids Dying in Caves wasn't bad enough. This is also a Little House episode. It's just a different kind of a Little House episode. Yeah. In this chapter, there's this poor old itinerant Jewish man named Abby Glass Glassman. So first of all, he runs a traveling a emporium. Little, it's just a, a, a peddler cart that yeah. he takes town to town and the kids can buy little things and yeah, adults can buy things. It's very exciting when he shows up because he's not there all the time. Yeah, he shows up once or twice a year. He has trinkets. Everybody gets a candy when they walk through the cart. He's a nice man. Everybody likes him, but he is Jewish. Let's just leave it there. I was hoping <laughs> I wanted a long dramatic pause there. Yes. Yes. Because again, <laughs> the town is comprised of Mormons, Protestants, and Catholics. So Abby Glassman is Jewish. And they're happy to see him when he arrives. Abby and the Fitzgerald family is happy to see him. They invite him for dinner. He's visiting with the Fitzgerald family, and he mentions that he's beginning to feel kind of tired of life on the road. Papa takes this as an invitation to strong arm Abby into the ground, basically, and tell him, you are going to put down your roots here in this wonderful town of 2,500 people. And you are going to open up a full-time general store here, Abby. I'm In gonna... a town where 2,000 of those people are Mormons. And there is a Mormon-run store that Mormons have to shop at. Yeah. They are expected to shop at this store, which is called the ZCMI. It's run by the Mormon church. The Mormons, Abby says naturally buy everything they can at the ZCMI store, and there aren't enough non-Mormons in Adamville to support a variety store. Besides, it would take every cent I have to open a store, and if it failed, he did not finish the sentence. He will not need to. We're going to find out on our own what would happen if it failed. <laughs> he, for some reason, he thinks that because there are non-Mormons doing okay, that means that any non-Mormon could do just fine. The market is totally open to non-Mormons and their wares, regardless of whether or not there's already a Mormon running the same business in the same town. <laughs> Even if he wasn't Mormon. I, I don't think it's a Mormon running the other business. I think the Mormon church runs the You're right. Business. It is. It's the yeah. Mormon church. But I so have you this, really can't fuck around with that. No you, no, you cannot. Not in the 1800s. You cannot. 
Even if religion wasn't involved, if there is a general store that is already serving the needs of a community, bringing a second general store in is not going to work. No. And like the whole thing about like why he does well peddling is because he's an anomaly, right? You show up a couple times a year, you have weird shit in your cart and you're like, oh, this is my only opportunity for weird shit. Like... It's a novelty. You don't yeah. get to hang out with this. And, and, you know, look at this cool stuff. You know what he does? He's like Etsy for Utah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's got some weird ass snow globes in there that once in a while you buy. Like, He's got some spoons with different cities' names on them. He's got some wind catchers. Yeah. Yeah. He might have some really cool CBD oil in the back. Yeah. You know he does. <laughs> It's really great, but if somebody sets up shop with this stuff right next door to you, you're going to be like, uh, it kind of smells yeah, like... Yeah, the- like, I still only need CBD oil twice a year. Yeah, <laughs> and you know what? Also, when you go in there, it smells like patchouli. Yeah. I'm not going to go in there all the time. I mean, I like <laughs> Abby, but the Walmart's right here. Yeah. And I can get my soap opera weekly at the same place where I get my Coca-Cola. So I'm going to go there. And it's fucking dad. Just at the end of the chapter, just says, after years and years of living and traveling in that peddler's wagon, at last Abby Glassman has found a home. Dun, dun, dun. It's a home to die in. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to ruin this man's life. He's going to end this man's life is what he's going to do. Oh, yes. my God. It's so wrong. And again, it's awful. Like, uh, the religious discrimination is an issue. In this book, yes. as I think we've already mentioned. But even without religion involved, this is such a bad business idea. Abby Glassman doesn't have time to beat up all the Mormons and show that they should shop at his <laughs> shop. <laughs> also, it's not his way. <laughs> and then in the meantime, they made some ice cream and Tom found a way to charge people to come and lick bits of it off of the churner. <laughs> People who, by the way, are not wealthy enough to own any of the accoutrements that would enable them to have to make ice their cream. own ice cream. Yeah. And if the parents knew, they would happily give ice cream to these people. But instead, Tom keeps that knowledge to himself and just takes And charges money, them. Which is nasty. <laughs> He's so nasty. It's nasty to do that. Oh, Ugh, I hate Tom. Okay, chapter five. We get chapter even five. more racist in chapter five. Yay! It's just entitled Greek Immigrant. Make America great again. That's right. So a Greek immigrant comes to town. And he's been, yeah, he's been in the U.S. for five years. And his family, he's been working in coal mines. Oh, my God. He finally gets enough money together where he can open up a restaurant in Adamville called the Palace Cafe. And so once he has enough money saved, he becomes an American citizen and he sends for his family, his wife and his son, who are also under the laws of the land at that time, immediately American citizens. I say that because (laughs) because the rest of the town does not treat them that way. (laughs) They does not. The child's name is Vasilios Vasilios Kokovnis, Kokovinus, Vasilios Kokovinus. Yes. I'm pretty sure that's it. Comes to town and immediately the town MAGA bully, Sammy Leeds, decides to start to beat the shit out of this kid. Whew. Okay, so listen. So they beat up this Greek kid. But to be fair, he was wearing a funny hat with a feather in it. So maybe he deserved part of it. 
That's right. He was. He was kind of dressed up. I, he was probably wearing a puppy shirt like a pirate in Seinfeld. He was probably wearing like, you know, the he short. He had uh, green britches and green suspenders and a shirt with a lace collar on it. What was he expecting? Come he, on. He had to travel across the United States in order to get to Utah. You would think that somebody would have stopped and said, Listen, see, fancy boy. <laughs> I see a number of children here, and they are not dressed like you, Basil, because and the, the American dad has version lived of, there for five years. He's seen other children. Yeah. And Basil is the American version of this child's Vasilios. name. Vasilios. So let's talk about the games that they're playing. <laughs> so Vasilios, Basil, happens upon the group of boys playing, and they're playing a game called Jackass Leapfrog. <laughs> which is apparently where you pick one boy and you treat him like garbage and you hit him and you kick him and you do all these terrible things you play leapfrog but every time you leapfrog over him you also like hit him on the ass or like chop at his neck or punch him in the kidney or yeah. stab him with a knife or and shoot the way him the in the game foot. works is everyone takes turns being the jackass that yes. gets the k- shit kicked out of them yeah except but maga sammy <laughs> decides that this Greek kid is just going to be the jackass every time. And they yeah. play like three, four rounds and, and he just fucking takes it, which all right. <laughs> it's well, he probably, he just has no understanding of what's going on. So he's like, this is how I become friends. Yeah. I yes. just let them beat me up and laugh yeah. at me. But then so, Tom sees it. And is like, no, this is not acceptable. Yeah. Cause Tom can beat up. Nagasami. Yeah. And that's, at the end of the day, that's what rules everything in this town, <laughs> is whether or not you can beat the shit out of the other kids. Basil brings the boys to his father's restaurant. Tom approaches the father and says, Tom and JD go to the restaurant and have lunch with Basil. And then Tom solemnly tells the father, that he is going to be Basil's friend, but that Basil needs to buy some stuff that will help him fit in. Yeah. So Basil's father so, uh, gives give him, him some money. a silver dollar. I'll help him out. Yeah. Tom promptly takes Basil to his own bedroom, to Tom's own bedroom, where he and gives sells Basil him his old shit. all of his old <laughs> shit and takes the money. Instead of taking him to Abby Glassman, by the way, who I'm right. sure would have had the business. Could use the business. Yeah. Would have had the wares, could have used the business, and instead of taking him to the ZCMI store, instead takes him to Tom's nasty emporium on the second floor of the Fitzgerald family house, <laughs> next to the <laughs> water closet. Used toys. <laughs> you can't miss it, and gives him some used shit, and takes and takes the dollar. And takes the dollar, which is so bad. This it's, is just flat out it's illegal. Shitty. It's like <laughs> the kid should be at juvenile detention at this point. So Basil starts to get beat up. Tom says, you got to stand up and try to fight back. Basil goes running home. Tom goes to Basil's dad and is like, he's got to stand up for himself and he has to beat the kid or else he's never going to be able to hold his head up in town. He cannot and be I a can't fight baby. his fights anymore. Yeah. But you can pay me and I will train Basil. After beat. stealing a dollar. Yeah. Here's you a can give to me steal more. another dollar. You can give me more money and I will teach Basil to kick Maga Sammy's ass. <laughs> and Basil's father bursts into tears with joy over this opportunity. Tom teaches Basil how to fight. And Tom actually is pretty smart. He teaches Basil to use his strengths to his own advantage. 
Yeah, he says, this is, this is going to be a rough and tumble fight. Anything goes, lumberjack style. Oh, Jesus, what are the lumberjacks doing to people right? in Utah? <laughs> the, the key that Basil is supposed to use is that Basil's got to wrestle Maga Stanley to the ground and then straddle him and basically beat his head into the earth. Yes. He can't bring himself to destroy this child's face and perhaps his brain. So instead he says, I'm not going to kill you right now, but if you come after me again, I will pin you again, and then I will kill you, basically. <laughs> yes. And Sammy, Maga Sammy's like, all right, I, all right only, I only understand through force. Like, the only way I know how to communicate with anyone else is by the use of blunt force. <laughs> <laughs> so you have finally gotten through to me uh, in the only language that I can speak. Yes. So thank you. So they take him home, still covered in blood from getting punched in the face by Sammy. And Basil's dad pays Tom the dollar. A dollar. <laughs> I wonder if he added up how much money he made <laughs> this book for doing fucked up shit. I was just thinking that we should have added up all the money. Yeah. Chapter six is called A Wreath for Abby. Oh, God. And it's I terrible. It. Let's just say this very quickly. Abby is not getting the business that he needs in order to survive. And pride keeps him for asking for help. And so after fainting dead away multiple times and refusing medical attention, he dies of severe malnutrition. And it is terrible. Ugh. It's just terrible. And making matters worse, um, a rumor began to go around as soon as Abby put down roots that he had a lot of money uh, that he was uh, keeping, not in the bank, but in a strong box? Yeah, basically. Yeah, a strong box. They thought he had a strong box full of gold. And so they Ugh. didn't bother to check on him or to see how he was doing. Not even the Fitzgerald family, which forced him to put down roots in this horrible little town. <laughs> right? The they ones didn't who made him... They heard, the store. yeah, they heard he was sick, and it took the man fainting dead away three times, including the final time right in front of their youngest son, and then for him to basically disappear from town life for a week before they take it upon themselves to check in and see how he's doing, and they find him on his deathbed. And then he just dies right in front of them. It's terrible. And then it turns out at the end of the chapter that... The great goddamn brain knew that Abby was in trouble. And he found out that Abby had no money, but Abby was prideful and he didn't want to ask for help. So instead you of. You know, Tom would have found a way to get that money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why, he went. That's he, why went. he went. There. He went there because he wanted to swindle Abby. But when he found yeah. out there was no money to be swindled, he didn't do anything to help him nope. overtly or covertly. Instead, he just waits in silent judgment and lets Abby die. I knew that I should shop there. And I just waited for the rest of you to figure it out. And it's oh, your such fault. such a sociopath. This I is, hate him. I mean, it just I hate makes Tom me so want vomit. It's a terrible thing that this kid does. And Maura, it only gets worse from here. I know, because then in Chapter 7, a new teacher, <laughs> a man named Mr. Standish, who on the first day of school at this one-room schoolhouse says, I am not going to put up with any of your bullshit. On the first day of school, he beats five kids so hard they cry. And he also wraps the knuckles of three girls and keeps them late on the first day of school to clean up his schoolhouse because they were that bad. Um, 
And the parents are like, this is great. We love this guy. Thank God. Now we can be slightly less often. Or we can find new and creative ways. And we can both beat the children. Yeah, we can come up with a whole other reason to beat these children. You take care of this part. That's great. But the kids are resentful as hell, especially when Basil gets blamed for doing something that he did not do. And then Tom stands up for him because Basil can barely speak English at this point. And then Tom ends up getting beaten. Then Tom decides that he is going to ruin this man's life. And he enlists all of the kids of his, his age level. To take this man down. Not all the kids. The non-Mormon kids. Oh, yes, the non-Mormon kids. Because they need access to whiskey. The Mormon kids can't help him with that. No, they cannot. So he gets all of the non-Mormon kids to steal into uh, their kitchens or wherever their fathers keep the whiskey. For medicinal purposes only, of course. (laughs) And each of them steals, like, a shot of whiskey, and they bring all the whiskey together, and Tom, like, meets it out into um, a number of different containers, flasks of different sizes, and also, like, sets it up. A little boy is the son of um, the owner of the boarding house, so he sneaks in to the man's room and, like, leaves evidence. Plants the the half-empty alcohol. All over the room, as well as, like, a tin of mints on the dresser showing and that. And they take them to school and put it in his coat pocket. Oh, yeah. They also, yeah, they leave a flask in his coat pocket at school. And then they send a letter to the head of the school board saying, this man is a whiskey drinker. Yeah. Check for yourself. And so the school board head is like, well, we got to check this out. And, <laughs> and of course, they find it exactly where it was planted. But Mora, you are missing something because they come up with this plan. And then to make sure it stays a secret, Tom, a 10-year-old boy, oh, yes. brings, out, brings out a human skull for them to swear on that they won't <laughs> tell anyone. He owns a human skull. His uncle gave it to him as a gift because it belonged to an Indian chief, he says. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> This is where I think I texted you, like, what the fuck am I even reading? <laughs> All these people are going to the bad place. They're all like, in the bad place. All is like lovingly rendered in <laughs> an illustration. Sure, it's okay to mess with human remains. Yeah, like take the political and spiritual leader of the local Native American tribe and just give his skull to a 10-year-old boy to play with. He makes all of these ki- complicit children swear on the Indian skull that they are not going to <laughs> break their word and tattle on this horrible plan to ruin this man's life. And they almost get away with it. They almost get away with ruining they this really, man's life. They, they really get re- so close. They, the school board fires the man. The man comes to uh, the Fitzgerald father, who again is widely believed to be the smartest man in town. And he says, I don't understand. I haven't ever touched a drop of whiskey. My life is ruined. And finally... It seems like there's always this point in these books also where we'd say, finally, a parent wakes up to what's going on here. (laughs) It's Tom shouting, hooray, when he (laughs) finds out, when the dad's like, apparently he's a secret drinker. And the the father is like, huh, is it possible that my... That my sociopathic son did something sociopathic? (laughs) Is it possible? And so he basically... Yeah, his dad finally, like, guilts him into saying 
that he did it guilts Tom into admitting because he's like, listen, this is the most contemptible thing anybody could do. Like this is, this is sociopath behavior, even for you, Tom. And then disgustingly, the teacher gets up the next day and publicly thanks Tom Tom, in the classroom for saying, he's like, I won't even talk about what he did, but he bailed me out. The worst chapter is the last chapter. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Aaron, we should have been drinking during this one. Oh my God. (laughs) This is where my husband was like pacing. Like, yeah, I can't believe this is happening. I was like, I know. Oh, the great brains reformation. This little boy named Andy Ugh. Anderson goes and plays in the barn, and he steps on a rusty nail. And then he First of a- all, his name's Andy Anderson. That's not bad enough. <laughs> no. He steps on a rusty nail. He doesn't want to tell his parents because he doesn't want to get beaten because that's what happens. And in the act of avoiding a beating, he contracts gangrene and has to have his rotten leg chopped off. So when Ugh. he finally comes back to school, all the kids start calling him Pegleg. Pegleg Andy. <laughs> and so his dad feeling bad because everybody makes fun of him all the time like shells out the six bucks for an erector set which you know i looked it up the five dollars was like 140 something now oh my god so six dollars like a 200 hundred dollar erector set yeah that's terrible um, and so that he could have something to play with inside the house and kids would actually come over and play with him the father's also despondent and says that the kid is now useless um and they're going to have to spend, the parents are going to have to spend the rest of their lives taking care of him. Yeah. Which even in this cruel town is not something that I think any parent would want their child to hear. No. Um, and so Andy is feeling kind of desperate. JD, the idiot youngest brother at <laughs> some point, And this is like the most reprehensible part of a reprehensible book. And I'm going to say right now, there is a trigger warning for suicide. So if you don't want to hear this, we do not blame Just you. Just be done. Just be done. We'll talk to you next week. But there is a trigger warning because uh, JD comes across this poor child trying to kill himself. And not only that, but then offers to help this poor kid kill himself. And there follows six full pages of the two kids trying to figure out how poor Pegleg Andy can kill himself. And it's and terrible. Two very detailed descriptions of a way that a child might kill themselves. It's terrible. Eventually, Tom comes across them during their idiocy, thank God, and stops yes. them. It's really from, just by chance. That it is just by chance. Die. Like, yeah. Like more than any other part in these books. Like, yeah. Yeah. Tom comes across them. And so, of course, because Tom has no heart, no soul at all, he says, all right, well, you think you're worthless. So um, I'm going to help you through basically a month of physical therapy. You and I are going to engage in some physical therapy. And by the time you're we're done, you are going to be able to play all the games that the kids play. And you're going to be able to do all the chores that you were able to do before you stepped on the nail. And you, in turn, are going to give me that erector set. Oh, yeah. And by the way, earlier in the chapter, you also find out that Tom did not use his great brain to work the miracle at Skeleton Cave just for nothing. He worked the miracle to save those kids so that those two dogs would mate. And when the puppies were born, he runs a con deal behind his brother's back and (laughs) promises them all to a sheep ranch, a sheep farmer, and says, you can have them all and pay me directly for the puppies. Yeah. And gets away with it. And he's 10. Like, he's this awful at 10. He's he's in fourth or fifth grade. 
This kid at this point is being referred to an alternate classroom. (laughs) Yes. Tom trains the kid. And by making him do his chores. Yeah, by making him do his chores. But he does. I mean, he does engage with him in some pretty smart physical therapy where he makes the child demonstrate what he's trying to do. He actually tries to do it. He makes the child take off the peg leg and he puts it on and tries it out himself and then figures out a way to do it and then trains the kid up on it, which is all very smart and probably didn't happen that much. It would be great if he wasn't trying to scam him out of his erector set. Yeah. And so he (laughs) just the one thing he had in life. He saved the kid's life. He basically arranges it so this child will be able to live a normal life. And then miracle of miracles, the child shows up on the doorstep with the erector set and says, my parents say, of course, you can have this erector set and they will pray for you. Thank you so much. And Tom for some reason, realizes that this is wrong. All of a sudden, he realizes that he should not have been charging money for all of this stuff. And so, he I mean, it happens to be Christmas time, so maybe he was just feeling charitable. I don't know. But he says, no, you know what, Andy, keep that erector set. And by the way, JD, here's your Indian belt. I am feeling very magnanimous and I am going to reform my ways and no longer try to swindle anybody. And everybody thinks that this is so wonderful. And the book ends that things from then on were really boring. Things got so dull, Papa (laughs) didn't even bother to come upstairs and see if Tom was in bed the night the schoolhouse burned down. The end. Oh my god. If this was a visual medium, the face that Eric just gave me. (laughs) I hate this book so much. I know. I know. This was this was the worst that we've done so far. Yeah, I don't know how we could even go on. (laughs) We're gonna need a palate cleanser. This book, when it was published, was beloved so much, in fact, that it was made into a movie. By the Os- yes, it was made into a movie by the Osmond family in 1978. Oh my god! And it starred the youngest Osmond child, who was younger than both Donnie and Marie. He played the Great Brain. Oh my god! And um, it wasn't available anywhere, but uh, today I right? saw it is on YouTube. It oh. is available on YouTube. Um, After Sarah played in Hall, that's what I look for. Yeah, <laughs> School Library Journal reviewed it saying this first person novel starts humorously ends tenderly and never drowns in nostalgia oh my god <laughs> so i got what a couple a awesome one star good reads reviews for you of this book yes yes let's hear them. <laughs> carrie writes fitzgerald does nothing to point young readers to the troubling issues that are actually at stake in this book i do not advocate <laughs> for morals to be spoon-fed to children but I am suggesting that children are perceptive and will pick up on the rife, implicit, and explicit bias. Deep systemic problems are constantly implied, but ultimately glossed over. Yes. Yes. I mean, I definitely do a lot of like, uh, when I read stuff with my kids and shit comes up, like. Stop and talk about it. It's like, pause. What did we just read? Like, yeah. <laughs> what do you think about that? Here's yeah. what I, you know, like. But that would take up this whole book. I mean, so Aaron, what are we going to read next week? <laughs> so I have some thoughts. I was thinking about Harriet the Spy. <gasps> oh, oh, man, that's a good one for this podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah, let's do that one. Okay. 
Oh my god. Yay. We're going to Montauk. Like I read it and loved it as a kid. I have only vague memories of it. So I think that's a, a good space to be in. Yes. Yes. I have vague memories of being troubled as a kid. <laughs> So I think it's definitely a good space to be in. And this was on my list too. So I'm very excited. Cool. Cool. Okay. Well then I don't even have like a catchphrase from this one that we could use again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I'm Maura McConaughey. And I'm Erin Stone. Swear on a human skull that you'll be with us next week. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 (laughs) Oh. (laughs)